Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year. Managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. Putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. I tried the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year. And me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest. And we'd go up there. And just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom-fitted for a new pair of Tecovis boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Hump Day edition of The Yard, a little bit later today than usual, and there is a good reason for that. I'll explain shortly as the Diamond Dogs get some bad news about a returning player that we had high expectations for. It's uh, It's been a, a difficult couple days, I guess you could say, uh, for Mississippi State as they have awaited the results of, uh, you know, some tests involving Brandon Smith. You know, it's one of those deals. It's just kind of a weird deal. The, uh, the whole thing, you know, the whole thing on Saturday, you know, as, as good as the day was, there were just a couple things that, you know, kind of, kind of rained on the parade. You know, we had some guys not have a good day on the mound, but that's going to happen. Not to mention it's fall ball. But when you have a guy that is expected to be a major contributor, like Brandon Smith, and you see him simply walk off the mound, you know Mike Nemeth and I were talking about that, and and the last time that our that we remember that happening at Mississippi State was when it happened with Spencer Price. You know Spencer had had, had a good season the time before, and next thing you know it's fall baseball scrimmage and. Um, he walks off the mound and was lost for the year. And, I, and to be fair, I don't know that he has regained, you know, his pre-surgical procedure form. I, I think Spencer is really still kind of coming back from that. I know there were a lot of times last year, you know, he had some moments, but he was a bit inconsistent. I just don't think he has regained that. You know, some other guys, you know, Ethan Small comes back, doesn't have the same velo he had prior to the Trump Tommy John surgery, but was a better pitcher, you know, really kind of a, you know, changed some things and became a better pitcher. He wasn't just a hard thrower. So it's kind of a mixed bag. You know, people always say, well, these guys come back throwing harder. Uh, that's not always the reality of things. But the bigger issue for this season is the fact that there was an unexpected contributor 
that it's now lost for the season. And, you know, I think the weekend rotation is pretty much locked up. I, I, I think Brandon Smith was going to either be the closer or a midweek guy, kind of depending on how things go with, uh, you know, with Riley Self and Spencer Price. You know, Riley Self had pitched this fall, and, and I expect him to be a lot closer to his sophomore season form this year. I'm a Riley Self fan. I always have been. Uh, I know he had some ups and downs last year, but now with Brandon Smith being lost, then, you know, Riley is going to have to be a guy. I mean, probably be the guy on the back end. And and he has that bulldog mentality and a guy that can go do it if he gets a little velo back and is able to throw that cut fastball with, uh, you know, with a little more snap to it. I think he could, he could conceivably be that guy. But uh, the reality of the situation is, is that uh, – Many of our fans are really high on Brennan Smith, and there were times last year people thought perhaps he should be the third starter. And, you know, when Peyton Plumley assumed that role, he became the third guy, and that's when things really kind of came together for Mississippi State. But now a guy like Brandon Smith, a guy from Richmond, Mississippi, a guy whose older brother went to Mississippi State, comes from a sports family, a guy that grew up wanting to play at Mississippi State, is lost for the year. You know, he's got a red shirt year, but at the same time, that doesn't help us or him this year, and I'm told that he's in good spirits. You know, that's one of the things that uh, I think helps in recovery is, you know, you can get the woe is me stuff. But uh, but I understand that he's uh, he's in good spirits, obviously disappointed like anybody would be, but the reality of the situation is just that, you know, he has some more baseball left to play, and, I'm, and Brandon will probably come back bigger and stronger and better as a result. We absolutely wish him the best. I want to thank our good friends at Bulldog Burger Company, the best place to break bread in Starkville, Mississippi, without without question. And uh, now a new, a new location in Tupelo to serve you. A lot of great reports and reviews about the Bulldog Burger experience over in Tupelo. So if you're passing through, if you live in that area, go by and give them an opportunity to serve you. I had somebody just yesterday, your good friend Dave Murray, tells me he went to Bulldog Burger Company and had the Bulldog. He said that's his favorite. He, just, he, doesn't, he said, I don't like a lot of stuff on my hamburger. I just like a great hamburger. And that's what the Bulldog brings you. I'm a guy that I, I like to be made to feel special a little bit. I like to kind of get out there and walk on the wild side some. I like the mission. I like the pimentology. I like the Lisa. When I, when I want things with a little less frills, I, I'll go with the Lisa. Encourage you to go find your own favorites. A great restaurant quality hamburger is one of the finest delicacies in life. And Bulldog Burger Company is more than happy to serve you. The, the restaurant closest to campus in the Cotton District, they've got their choices of adult beverages. So if you're looking for a night out on the town, whether it be with family or perhaps parents' night out, Bulldog Burger Company, happy to serve you. The place in Starkville and now Tupelo where people go to meet, M-E-A-T. We had the opportunity to uh, to speak to some folks since you and I were together. We, uh, we heard from Joe Moorhead on Monday. Joe made some comments that I think some people have found somewhat kind of comical. He made some tongue-in-cheek comments about, uh, you know, that he he focuses more on the task at hand, on the team, and then, you know, the voices and personalities within the SEAL football complex rather than the opinions of Bob from Bogochitta. I would also like to credit Coach for correctly pronouncing Bogochitta. Floated to Bogochitta many, many times as a young man. Had some great times out there. I don't. I don't know if you if you're really from Mississippi. If you've not if you have not floated to Bogachita, but all that being said, I thought that was an interesting, <laughs> an interesting comment. And I know some other people have reacted to that negatively. And yeah, I, I can't tell people how to feel or how to act. But it's one of those things too. Quite frankly, I'm glad Joe sees it the way that he does. And uh, and one of the things that I, there, there'll always be some comparisons between Dan and Joe because Joe is following Dan Mullen. But one of the things that I respected about Dan Mullen is the fact that Dan really didn't care about what happened outside of the SEAL football complex. Like, you know, it's just like with the Jeffrey Simmons thing. You know, as soon as Dan Mullen got on the plane and came home from the SEC meetings that weekend, that was the last time that he worried about that. He just he locked it out. He just simply didn't care. And, you know, Dan's attitude about all that stuff, whether it be about Jeff Simmons or anything negative or whatever, you know, his attitude is, you know what, I'm here to coach the football team. And uh, you, you guys in the media, if you guys want to go write a story, you feel free to do that. I can't stop you from doing that. But it's not going to change my job. And I thought that's – I think Dan that sometimes had that bunker-first mentality. And I think especially in times – when you know maybe we're a little up and down, that's probably the best attitude to have, because you can really focus on what's going on. When you start getting too concerned, 
about all the noise outside of the facility. And there's always going to be some of that. That's when you start losing track of what, what's really important. And so I'm glad Joe said it, and I hope Joe meant it. I, I do think he probably pays a little closer attention to it because he's mentioned some of that before about, you know, last year people on social media were talking about how we needed to feed Kyle and Hill, and we're feeding them now. And he's kind of responded to some of that, you know. Uh, so I do think he is somewhat aware of that. But my hope is in times like these, when we're, we're about to go on the road and play a pretty desperate football team in their own backyard, you know, we don't need to be concerned about our mentions on Twitter. You know, we don't need to be concerned about, you know, what Bob from Bogachita said on Facebook. You know, because at the end of the day, that job doesn't pay anything. That's the reality of it. And the best way to silence those critics is to go win the football game. And then to go win the next football game and the next football game. It's incredible. Uh, There are a lot of people that are, are kind of malcontented at times. But the reality of that situation is, is they simply want to win. You know, I, I try to be a little more positive in nature, and it's so funny. If you talk to the people that know me best, you know, they'll, they'll tell you, you know, especially my wife, she'll tell you that, that, you know, that I, get, I can be really negative. Uh, I don't know that that's the case. I don't think so. I think I'm a bit of a realist. And then here, there are other people that say, oh, well, you know, Steve's a Pollyanna and a sunshine pumper. You know, I don't think I'm any of those things. I don't think I'm overly negative. I, I think that I'm a realist. But I do admit that um, I take a lot of enjoyment from sport. And when we win a ball game, uh, my mood gets better. And I'm sure it's like that for a lot of you people. I, I'm emotionally invested in the outcome. Uh, I love seeing Mississippi State win. I do. I think it's great. And I'm sure most people feel that same way about their team. And when things aren't good, when things aren't going well, I get concerned. I don't, I don't know, know that I get negative. There are some people out there that kind of forecast failure. That's kind of their, their shtick. You know, they, that's what they do. It's kind of they, they're not happy unless everybody is miserable around them. I'm just not that person. I don't, I don't feel that way. I, I always believe that we'll find a way to win the game. Um, now, sometimes I pick Mississippi State to lose. But, you know, even though I picked Mississippi State to lose to Auburn, I thought it would be a much closer ball game than it proved to be. And then 21 points later and six minutes in, I'm sitting there thinking, man, we're in trouble. <laughs> we're in a heap of trouble. And then Schrader comes in and we go down there and we, we score. And I'm thinking, okay, let's just make the extra point here. And maybe if we can get a stop, maybe we can get a stop and maybe the magic man can get us another score before the half. We're within striking distance. Well, that didn't happen. But that's kind of what I tell myself. I, I'm never one of these woe is me types. And so uh, the reality of all that is this, is the head football coach at Mississippi State, and really anywhere, you know, should be concerned more about his team and his job. And I think that's where Joe Moorhead is. I, I don't think Joe is a guy that uh, spends a lot of time, you know, surfing through his mentions. I don't, you know, unlike another former SEC coach, I don't think Joe Moorhead searches for his name on Twitter just so he can DM people and engage with them and tell them how wrong they are about him. I don't think Joe is that thin-skinned. And again, and and I'll say this the rest of this week, I expect Mississippi State to go win the football game in Tennessee because Mississippi State's a better team. And a better team doesn't always win, but in this case, I believe we're a much better team. And even though we're going on the road, I believe this bye week catches us at a good time. I believe... Georgia caught Tennessee at a good time. I think Georgia also kind of exposed some things with Tennessee. You know, I thought Florida played exceptionally well against Tennessee. And then they have the uh, you know, the opportunity to get a little healthier and get ready to go play Georgia. And then uh, I thought Georgia exploited some of the same things that Florida found. And so when I look at that defensive front for Tennessee, I think you know, with our veteran offensive line and our explosive running back, I think we're going to be able to go run the football. I didn't feel that way against Auburn. You know, I, I look at those guys and I think, how are we going to block those guys? Okay, we've got a pretty good offensive line, but that's a very elite group at Auburn. And, I, and to be fair, I don't know that we're going to see another front as talented as what we saw at Auburn. Now, LSU and Alabama are going to be really good. But I think Auburn is probably – the 
elite defensive front in the Southeastern Conference this year. I, th- I think that's probably fair. So we're going to see some good defensive fronts. I don't know if we see a better front seven the rest of the season. Now, and, I, and I'm not saying that to make you feel better, but I say that to say that I believe we're going to be able to run the football with a little bit uh, more room this weekend. We can't go up there and turn the football over. We can't go up there and keep them in the ball game. We can't go up there and help them win. They're a team with a very fragile psyche. If we go up there, number one, and get a big start, uh, I think that's paramount towards us getting the W. I also think that 11 a.m. kick is good for Mississippi State. Now, I want to preface this by saying, too, I have had many former players tell me as a visiting team they like the 11 a.m. kick. They like it because you get up, you get moving, you're already out there rather than sitting around the hotel all day watching football and, and kind of getting ready to go play. They kind of like that. But they would prefer a little bit later start because you're on the road, everything is a little bit different. You know, you don't know where to go get tape, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but the reality of it is, is you know, they kind of like that 11 a.m. kick. Uh, I don't really like it because I like to enjoy the day. But the, the, the reality of things is what makes the day better for us is to go win the football game. Uh, And so I think that 11 a.m. kick, number one, will keep a lot of bandwagon, fence-sitting volunteer fans at home. I think a lot of those folks are are already off the Jeremy Pruitt bandwagon, and I think they're getting a little bit perturbed. And all of a sudden, you already have a bad season, and you're already questioning your hire, and then you get another 11 a.m. kick, and I think you begin to think to yourself, you know, I think I'll just stay home and watch football today. I think I'll just watch it on television. So I think it'll be – I don't think it'll be a capacity crowd. I think it'll be a good crowd, not a great crowd. And I understand that many of you Bulldog fans, over 3,200, 3,300 of you have already bought tickets to the Mississippi State Ticket Office, not to mention all of those that uh, have purchased tickets through third-party vendors that will be there. I think that's big because I think your voices will be heard. Again, I think it'll be a somewhat subdued crowd, and I think if Mississippi State can get off to a big start, Tennessee has been absolutely dreadful in the second half. And so I believe Mississippi State can win the first half. I think Colin Hill can carry Mississippi State to victory in the second half. Now, the Tennessee running attack, not great. Not great. They have some athletes, though. Don't get me wrong. They've got some guys, if you don't go play football, they can hurt you. And they're going to be a desperate team. They're going to be a team that understands their season is on the brink, And I am sure many of them look at Mississippi State and say, you know what, this isn't a great team. We've got a chance here. This is a winnable game for us right here in our own backyard. I'm sure that's their mentality. They're going to come out being reckless. They're going to come out. I I would not be the least bit surprised to see trick plays and fake punts. And I know that kind of plays against the personality of who Jeremy Pruitt is. But uh, that guy's probably coaching for his job here in the coming weeks. It's year two up there and really – I don't think anybody at this point can look at that and say, you know what, this was a great hire. And that's one of the things when I think back in hindsight, you know, and things maybe not have not gone to script for Joe Moorhead thus far. But when you look at what Arkansas at Chad Morris, Tennessee at Jeremy Pruitt, uh, Chip Kelly, UCLA, I mean, you look at that that class, that class of coaches that year, you know, there are a lot of people in a lot worse shape than Mississippi State. Now, granted, Joe Moorhead probably started in a much better place than the folks at Arkansas and Tennessee. Doesn't have the resources, perhaps the facilities many of those places do, but the reality of the situation is, I think in hindsight, you, you probably feel pretty good about your hire. I, I wouldn't trade Joe Moorhead for Chad Morris or Jeremy Pruitt right now. I, I think the proof of the, you know, the fact of the matter is, when you look at Joe Moorhead's situation, especially this year, you know, Tommy. Let's say Tommy Stevens doesn't get hurt, and let's say that we're you know we're sitting here at five and one, or four and one, four and one. Let's say we're sitting here at four and one, with our lone loss being at Auburn. Let's say that that was a lot more competitive. Well, it's. I think the whole feeling and sentiment around Mississippi State football is much different. And so I, I think there are times when I look go back and think about that Auburn game, it was just a colossal failure on just about every, every facet of the ball game. And we didn't coach it real well. We didn't call it real well. We didn't play it real well. We didn't defend it. We didn't kick it. We didn't tackle it. It's a bad day. 
And my hope is that's the aberration. That's the exception rather than the rule. Because I really thought against Kentucky, we played pretty well. I mean, you take away two freshman mistakes. You know, Garrett Schrader in his first start played exceptional. Two plays you probably want back there. You know, the, the sack fumble and then the interception where he got a little overexcited trying to get, get the ball to Osiris Mitchell, who was open. Made the right read, just didn't finish the throw. You know, you take those two plays away, that game's not even close. And I think that gave us a pretty good indication of what the Jim Moorhead offense looks like with Garrett Schrader right now. When I begin to think about what it would look like in the future with a more polished Garrett Schrader, I get pretty excited about that. But then you go back a little further and remember how good the offense looked in that first half against Southern Miss. We were absolutely carving them up. And then Tommy Stevens gets banged up, and then the game changes. And so, again, where would, where would we be today with a, with a healthy Tommy Stevens? Well, I think a healthy Tommy Stevens, I think you, you win that game in Kansas State, and you're more competitive. Or win the game against Kansas State, pardon me. And then you're more competitive on the road at Auburn. I think that's the reality of things. But we forget some of that. You know, we've got some inexperience on the defensive line. And the reality of that situation is, you know, those guys are just going to have to grow up. We can't just sit here and sacrifice a season and say, well, you know, that, that's it for us. Oh, woe is us. But the main thing we all need right now is for Mississippi State to go win this football game. Can't go back and replay the Kansas State game. Can't go back and have Tommy Stevens, uh, you know, get out of that tackle against Southern Miss on that, I guess it was a corner blitz that got him and uh, caused that, uh, that AC joint issue. You know, we can't go back and relive any of that. All we can do now is go win the football game. You go win this football game, it's amazing how much better things get. Henry Ballard told me that years ago. I interviewed Coach Ballard, and we were talking about winning the Egg Bowl. But he made a comment that was true then, it's true about everything else. Everything around you gets better when you win. The air is cleaner, the grass is greener, your girlfriend is prettier. Everything gets better when you win. And so a lot of this noise will be beaten back to a certain extent. You go win, win the Tennessee game. Now, and there's going to be some people that are not going to be happy either way. Okay, so if we go over there and win that ball game 23 to 20, we're going to be 4 and 2. Just like if we went and won that ball game 65 or nothing, we're going to be 4 and 2. But if we don't have some style points, there are going to be some people that are going to be critical. That's the reality of it. And the first thing they're going to say is, yeah, we won the game, but. LSU's going to kill us. And you know what? All that might be true. But right now, let's focus on the first part of that sentence rather than the latter part. Let's go win the ball game. Let's go beat Tennessee and get to 4-2, and two, and then we'll figure it out next week. I want to remind you guys, too, that uh, if you're folks who like to have a little skin in the game, perhaps you're a guy that likes to pick winners, guy or gal that likes to pick winners, our friends at mybookie.ag are ready to serve you. We have uh, had them as a longtime sponsor of the Boneyard during football season. If you want to have a little skin in the game, perhaps uh, you're willing to put your money where your mouth is. NFL season's here. There's always something going on. There's always something to bet on. There's always something to, uh, to profit from. And so by being a loyal Boneyard listener, if you go to mybookie.ag, there's a promo code that will help you play with a little house money. Use promo code BONEYARD, that's B-O-N-E-Y-A-R-D, and they will match your initial deposit up to 100%. So right out of the gate, you're getting some free money to play with. You make a deposit, they match it. Simple as that. Just use promo code BONEYARD. Again, that's mybookie.ag, promo code BONEYARD. MyBookie, you play, you win, you get paid. Simple as that. So we had a chance to meet with uh, Tommy Stevens and Colin Hill and and, uh, Garrett Schrader. That's kind of become our Tuesday night ritual. You know, we'll we'll meet with defensive players tonight, and I believe we're getting Coach Tony Hughes. We'll have an opportunity to speak to him. Uh, Garrett Schrader, we've already posted that story over on jeanspage.com. You can go watch what Garrett had to say for free right there on the website. You don't have to be a subscriber. You should be, but you don't have to be. You can go watch that for free. We make that big room stuff available for everybody. We want everybody to come visit us, whether you're a subscriber or not. But, uh, you know, before Garrett spoke, we met with Kyle, and then we met with Tommy. You know, Kyle and I'll have that piece up a little bit later today. We'll have a, you know, Kyle and Hill standalone video piece. You can go check out what he had to say. But really, the, the team is just simply ready to go again. They're ready to get back on the field. Yes, they've had the bye week to kind of allow their bodies to heal up a little bit. 
But I think more importantly, they've allowed themselves to kind of move ahead mentally from after an embarrassing ball game at Auburn. And it's one of those things, too, it's probably a little more difficult to come back when you look at it and say, you know what, those guys are a lot better than us, and you can kind of let yourself off the hook. But I think when you do some some really fair and soul-searching self-evaluation, you go back and you look and say, you know what, maybe they aren't as good as we thought they were. Maybe maybe we aided in our own demise. Maybe we missed this play. Maybe we missed this block. Maybe we didn't execute this. And the reality of the situation is that's what we all kind of know. You go out there and you get the delayed game, game penalty to start the game. It's just, you know, those kind of things are inexcusable. And that was kind of touched on last night in, in the media briefing is, you know what, we've all got to be better. Everybody. Everybody's got to be on the same page. We can't. Nobody can walk out there and not understand the situation. And that's kind of what Cowan kind of underscored, I thought, in his uh, in his media opportunity last night. He said, you know, we're ready to go play a football game. And I have seen some of his comments on social media about, you know what, I can't wait to get back out there on that field. And I asked him about that. He goes, you know, it's about me and my teammates. And I think at times, and I don't mean to – this is not me passing out an indictment against anybody, but I think – the good and bad part of social media is the good part is is that people can go out there and tell you good things about yourself. The bad part is that people can sit in the comfort of their own living room and tell you what a piece of garbage you are or what they think you are. And so getting back on the football field and getting back in the huddle, I think it's a bit of a salvation from every bit of that. I think that is an escape from all of the racket that goes along with that. And I think, too, there is some of that that is internal. And I think it is just natural for a competitor. When you go through something what Mississippi State went through at Auburn, you're ready to get back on the field to regain your confidence. You are ready to get back as a team. So, you know what, we are a good football team. We are not what we showed the last time we were out here. And they've had two weeks to stew on that. Will Mississippi State come out and look like the, the, the well-rested team they should be? Well, they look like the healthier team that they should be because you know, Georgia beat up on Tennessee pretty good. They really did. A lot of injuries in that Tennessee ball game. I don't know how significant they were. But there were a lot of people that had to be escorted from the field during that ball game. You know, I think Mississippi State is catching Tennessee at the perfect time. I don't know, I don't know if you're aware of this. You know, Tennessee had their bye week. Their bye week came, uh, you know, prior to the Georgia game. And so they play Florida, have the bye week. They get blown out by Georgia. They play State this weekend, and then they make the trip to Tuscaloosa next weekend. So State is kind of positioned perfectly in there as the, quote, trap game. I don't know if you're Tennessee, though, if you can really kind of be snuck up on. You know what I'm saying? It's like every game is such a big deal for them. I think in many respects they probably – expected to lose to Georgia and to Alabama. So I don't know if they're looking ahead to that Alabama game or not. But the reality of the situation is the state is kind of nestled right in there in between two top three teams. And so you bring your best effort in those ball games and you get beat. And then you get another team coming into your backyard and you begin to think, okay, this is a chance for us to go win the football game. But, man, we're going to get beat up again next week. And so – I expect them to be reckless, but I also expect them to be somewhat beaten down. I think Mississippi State, if you go out there and you get a lead early and keep the crowd out of it, I think that really, really bodes well for Mississippi State. If you have looked at Tennessee's box scores, and if you had, I'm going to run a couple things down for you because I think it's important uh, that you all know this. But they have been an awful second-half team. You go back to the Georgia State game, and people have already forgotten about that. Georgia State goes into Neewin Stadium in front of 85,503 people and wins the ball game 38-30. to Tennessee scored 13 points in the second half. They were outscored 24-13 to in their own backyard, gave up 17 fourth-quarter points to lose that ball game 38-30. to That You talk about having some, uh, some excitement about college football really diminished. That'll do it. Losing to Georgia State in week one, and then, really, you know, they got off to a big start, 14 points in the first quarter, 17-14 at the break. So you began to see them kind of wilt a little bit. What that tells me, if you look at some of these other games, Tennessee's had the good first quarter, so they scripted pretty well. But once when teams adjust against them, uh, they have a difficult time. 
that ball game, Jared Garantano was 26 of 40, 311 yards, a couple touchdowns, sacked four times. Georgia State ran for 213 yards net and three touchdowns. The flip side of it, Tennessee, as a team, ran for 93 yards. Jawan Jennings, a big hero that day for Tennessee, seven catches for 108 yards. But the, the real story there is the fact that Georgia simply couldn't, I mean, part of Tennessee couldn't put them away. I think I'm looking at wrong numbers here. I am absolutely looking. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm good. Uh, but they absolutely, they, could, they couldn't put them away. Just absolutely could not put the team away. And late in the ballgame, uh, Georgia State proved to be the better team. Uh, go to the BYU game. Tennessee scores three second-half points. That's it, three second-half points. And they lose in double overtime, 29-26 to BYU. Again, they come out, they get a first-quarter lead. It's 13-3 at the half. They're outscored in the second half, 13-3. They go to overtime, they match touchdowns, and next thing you know, BYU scores a touchdown, and Tennessee only got the field goal. Uh, There's your ballgame. But again, they wore it down in the second half. And without the benefit of the short field and overtime, they don't score a touchdown. And looking at those numbers, too, again, it's one of those things. You, you, you begin to see some consistent themes here. Spotty quarterback play. Garantano, 17 of 28 for a couple touchdowns. Another interception. Sacked the one time. And then you look at rushing. You know, Tennessee actually rushed pretty well that ball game, but simply couldn't. They moved it well between the 20s and simply couldn't sustain drives and couldn't put BYU away, allowed them to hang around, BYU wins the game late. So now you're 0-2. Well, then they go blast, you know, Nick Tiano and, and UT Chattanooga 45 nothing. so obviously they outscored them in that ball game, but they should. It's an FCS team. Then we get to Florida. Very similar situation. Tennessee is shut out in the first half. They score three second-half points. They get beat 34-3. This game was not competitive. There were some times in that first quarter like Tennessee had some spark. But, again, they couldn't put anything together offensively. And late in the ballgame, they wore down, and Florida did pretty much what they wanted to do. It was a 34-3 ballgame, but, you know, it, it's, it seemed like it was about 100-3 because Tennessee was so anemic on offense. And, again, looking at numbers here, Garrett Tano, 10 of 17, 107 yards, a couple interceptions, two sacks. They bring in Brian Marr for the first time of the year. Uh, and an SEC play for that, that matter. He goes 4 of 11, throws an interception. Just wasn't a good day. And they rush for 88 yards as a team. Not a great rushing game. Not a great rushing team. Again, Jawan Jennings, seven catches, 73 yards. It feels like he's been there forever. That's a guy you're going to have to really watch, Jawan Jennings. Probably be him and Cam Dancer matched up a lot. You look at the Georgia game, and again, it is a consistent theme. They get out, 14-10 lead over Georgia. Georgia's probably sleepwalking a little bit. The next thing, Georgia wakes up, and it's, you know, it's 26-14 to at the half. Tennessee shut out in the second half. Georgia does what they want to, 17 points. And really, Georgia kind of put took the air out of the ball. And uh, there was one time I thought that Georgia got a little bit cute, Late in the ball game, had a chance to just kind of put the thing away, and they, and they had that. You know, it's one of those deals where they they're running and running and running, and then they, they try to take a shot, and they don't get it. Then then they go for it on fourth down, turn the ball over on downs. You know, just that was to put the third game, the third quarter away. And then what happens? They lose that one, and then they come right back and score two touchdowns to put the game away. But what we are consistently seeing from Tennessee, consistently is the fact that they are really, really struggling in the second half to form any sense of offensive attack. Really, really struggling in that respect. And they're also struggling to run the football against elite teams. And then when you begin to think about the fact that you know, Jeremy Banks, one of their top running backs on the team, has been dismissed, uh, that, that you don't get better by dismissing people. You know, there are Sometimes it's addition by subtractions when you've got a cancer in the locker room. But I don't know at this point if there's anybody that you can look at and say, you know what, we can afford to lose that guy when you're one and four. Uh, looking at some individual numbers again in that ball game, you know Brian Marr gets the start, 14 to 28, 259 yards, a couple touchdowns, and, and a pick, and a long of 73. But he sacked three times. He got off to a great start. They obviously scripted the game for him pretty well early, 
But once again, once the teams began to adjust, things changed in a very major way. They bring in Garantano. He completes his his first pass for 14 yards and then goes 0 for 4 the rest of the ball game. As a team, Tennessee rushes for 70 yards. We talk a lot about matchups on this show. Auburn was a horrendous matchup for Mississippi State because, number one, of their ability to line up and run the football against Mississippi State's inexperienced front. Tennessee does not have that ability. Now, is Tennessee going to probably run the ball a little bit better against Mississippi State? Probably. Probably a little bit more. It's because of the fact you know, that they're not going to face Georgia and Florida. It's a much different front. But the reality of the situation is, is that Tennessee is not a great rushing team. If Mississippi State can get some separation in this ballgame and then put the game in the hands of these quarterbacks, and you know, Brian Maher, I expect to start, he absolutely got shelled in that ballgame against Georgia. Once they became one-dimensional, once Georgia began to separate a little bit and go up a couple scores, then the Georgia defense could kind of pin their ears back because they knew Tennessee was going to pass football. And what do they do? They Georgia closed out the game. What Mississippi State needs to do in this ballgame is get a first-half lead. Get a first-half lead and then let your running game take over in the second half. If you have watched Tennessee at all, you will understand that that defensive front has really struggled. They're talented. They've got size. They're a little inexperienced. They're a lot like Mississippi State in that respect. Now, listen, they've got a couple of good linebackers now. Don't get me wrong. But this is a team that Mississippi State should be able to run against, and Colin Hill should be able to get to the second level with regularity. I think Mississippi State's experienced offensive line is going to be a real problem for Tennessee. What State has to do is avoid assisting Tennessee. You've got to avoid giving them the opportunity to have the short end of the field. You've got to be sounding the kicking game. We've heard that our whole lives. That's the reality of things. You've got to go out there and punt the ball well. You've got to win the battle of field position. You can't turn the ball over. Looking at some of these defensive players they have, listen, you know, we, we, we talk about Toto. I mean, that, you know, that kid can really play. Jim Moorhead singled him out in the press conference. Theo Jackson's another guy. That's your two leading tacklers. You know, but this is this is a group that really doesn't have, you know, that bell cow. You know, they're, they're have, they've had some dismissals. They've had some guys leave the team. They've had some attrition. That's the reality of it. But this is a very vulnerable Tennessee team. This is a game Mississippi State is favored to win and should be favored to win and should be a game that the Bulldogs go over there and win. Listen, I'm going to go ahead and break it down for you. I don't think this is going to be you know one for the ages. I don't think you're going to go over there and say, you know what, I remember we went to Tennessee and we put up 40 or 50 points on them. If that happens, I will be very, very surprised. But I expect Mississippi State to win the football game unless Mississippi State turns the football over and gives Tennessee the short field because I just don't think that they can consistently sustain the drives even against a Mississippi State defense that is pretty young in the middle. I look for the Bulldog linebackers to have a good game. And they're going to need to have a good game because they're going to have to get out and make plays. I think the Bulldogs' secondary probably has to play as good a game as it's played all year. We didn't have a great secondary game against Auburn. Because of the fact that we were selling out to stop the run, we had to leave our corners at times on an island. And, and listen, Seth Williams had a good game against us. They victimized Martin Emerson a couple times. And that's going to happen. I don't believe Tennessee can consistently do that. You know, Jawan Jennings is one of those guys. And listen, they've got some receivers that are a problem. I mean, really, I mean, uh, Jawan Jennings is an NFL guy. That's the reality of it. I absolutely love his game. People forget Dan Mullen recruited him to play quarterback at Mississippi State. He's played in five games this year, has 26 catches, 395 yards, and five touchdowns. He's the guy. Marquez Callaway is a guy that uh, Tennessee beat for Al- Tennessee beat Alabama to get. He's another dude. You know, 13 catches, 259, three touchdowns. After that, you know, the, the list is a little interesting. But they've got some guys that can beat you deep. So what you, what's, what you have to do is you've got to be able to deny them the first option, make this young quarterback work through his progressions and hopefully get the pass rush there. Speaking of pass rush, that was a point of emphasis with Jeremy Pruitt. He said they have really struggled, really, really struggled with pass rush and uh, you know ran some of those numbers for you guys of what they've done uh, you know as a team just look at the numbers here 
They got eight sacks on a year, just eight sacks. And uh, if you look at w- w- what the opponents those games have, have come against, you know, uh, I think in SEC play they have really, really struggled to put pressure on the quarterback. Just two sacks in SEC play, and both of those came from uh, linebacker Daniel Batuli and, uh, against Florida. But the reality is is they, they are really struggling to pressure the quarterback. And so with a defense that struggles to rush the quarterback and a defensive front – that has been a little bit soft at times, really for both teams, I think this is a recipe for Mississippi State. They should be able to go up there and run the football and then pass the football with some success because what's going to happen is if Colin Hill is able to get going earlier, then all of a sudden they've got to do some run blitz stuff. They've got to enlist those backers to sell out to slow the rundown. That'll open up that intermediate passing game. That'll open up play action. That'll open up tight end. And so I think this is one of those things when you look at, and people, there are so many Mississippi State people out there that say, you know what, it's Tennessee, and it is. It is Tennessee. It's almost like a helmet sticker win. But I don't have the same reverence for Tennessee that I did under Phil Fulmer. When we lost that 98 game, uh, you know, Tennessee won a national championship. And uh, they have not really been the same since then. I mean, really, when you break, begin to break it down, they were already starting to tail off when Fulmer was fired. And it hasn't been the same since then. You know, we won that ball game back in 2012, 41-31. We were by far the better team. Everybody expected to win that game when they came in here. When we lost over there in 2008, we, you know, we thought then that we might have a chance to go compete with them. And then uh, Tyson Lee, unfortunately, uh, big fan of Tyson Lee, great person. He's a big fan of the show. Uh, but Tyson Lee had a bad day. Eric Berry pretty much became an All-American that day. You know, just a bad day for us. We've got to avoid having a bad day we got to go over there and play our game. And, and I, I submit to you this Tennessee team has some talent. But I really believe that this is a team that is on the verge of packing up. And I think the reality of the situation is if you go over there and you get a lead against them early, because, you know, listen, they've been a good first-quarter team. You get a lead, you get it to the halftime, you get it in the second half, the strength of that Mississippi State offensive line and Kylan Hill, I think, can win you the ball game. I see this game a lot like the Kentucky game, except it's on the road. I want to remind you guys, too, our good friends at Campus Bookmart are here to serve you. Stan Ray, Miss Kathy Brown, the lovely, talented Susie. You see her pretty regularly around town. You've probably have seen her, too. And I've noticed since her recent celebrity is being mentioned on our show, she's been wearing hats a lot more to try to avoid the paparazzi. You need to go by and see her and force her to get a picture made with you uh, there at Campus Bookmart. And if you're one of those folks, too, that may be getting to – a game day shop is difficult because game day shopping is not always for everybody. Visit them at campusbookmart.net, and by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a promo code to save you a little cash. Again, that's campusbookmart.net, promo code BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over $50. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete, man. Absolutely incomplete. I'm going to be doing some events with Campus Bookmart. Uh, this holiday season, going to do, uh, I think, Mistletoe and Jackson. We're going to do some things in Tupelo. Uh, we'll do some things here at the Christmas Bazaar with the Bookmark Cafe. We're, I'm going to be around. I'm going to make uh, the book available uh, for everybody. You know, and, again, I can't talk about it all just yet. we got some big news coming about Flim Flam. I know some of you have not even read Flim Flam. I get people all the time saying, hey, Steve, where can we find it? Uh, we're going to have some big news on Flim Flam in the coming weeks. But in the next two weeks, Stark Villains will be released. I know many of you have asked and said, Steve, what's the release date? Uh, I, I'm told that we're going to have books. Books will ship in about 10 days. And then uh, for those of you that have already pre-ordered, we're going to go ahead and sign those books and put them on the road to you. Looking forward to that. If you haven't pre-ordered, you can do so at StarkVillainsTheBook.com. StarkVillainsTheBook.com. And I have had so many people that have reached out to me. That I'll be at baseball and people come up and say, Steve, can't wait for the book. I'll tell you. The more that I think about the book, the prouder I am of the work. And uh, not just because of the words that I wrote, but because of the words that were articulated to me by some of your heroes. And some great memories and some great stories that, uh, that really mean a lot to me. You know, when I think about having a conversation with John Bond about the Egg Bowl, you know, JB won two and lost two. And it's one of those things, too, the only two that people talk about are the two that he lost. That's a, the infamous Dick Pace game one of the most horrific pass interference calls in the history of the forward pass. And number two, the blown back game. Those are the only two that people ever talk about with JB. And the fact of the matter is, is that John Bond should have been undefeated in the Egg Bowl. 
won a couple of games you know, pretty handily, and uh, nobody talks about those games because of the weird stuff that happened in the games that we lost. And so I gave John an opportunity to kind of talk about that. You know, let's talk about all four of your egg balls. Let's talk about the ones you won, talk about the ones you lost. And he shared some things that were just great to me. And one, one thing in particular was about, uh, you know, in the blown back game, you know, they're driving down the field. JB basically just kind of calling the plays. You know, it's like Emory would send in a play. JB would see something different and kind of audible out of that. And then when we're driving down the field to put the game away and said off in the distance, he could hear tornado sirens. And said some of the guys in the huddles like, hey, John, what are those sirens? He goes, man, y'all don't worry about it. Just keep playing, you know. Uh, so those are the kind of things I think are rather neat. You know, some things that kind of went on in the huddle in the locker room. Uh, but, you know, John Bond's a hero of mine. I tell you, when I was a kid, that, that's who I wanted to be. I wanted to be John Bond. After watching him him beat Alabama in person back in 1980, I actually was there. And like the other 400,000 people that claimed to be there, I was there. And uh, at that point, you know, a love affair between me and Mississippi State pretty much began. And uh, so having a chance to go back and talk to John Bond about football and talk to Derek Pegues about his recruitment and about some wild things that happened and all that. And one of the things that I don't know that people may have forgotten, Derek Pegues kind of tells you what really happened with Ryan Perilou. You remember Ryan Perilou was a guy that uh, was committed to Texas and backed off of that. And uh, Mississippi State looked to be the trendy pick late and he ultimately signed with LSU. And so Derek takes you through his experiences with Perilou right all the way up until the night before signing day. And so that's something that I don't know that's been made public until now. And then he talks about, too, that he was actually committed to another SEC school privately. And some things changed that, you know, kind of made him open it back up. And just so you guys know, it wasn't Ole Miss. And I know that was the popular rumor. There were a lot of people in the Ole Miss media that just kind of assumed he would go to Ole Miss because that's what South Panola kids did. Well, Derek kind of gives an accurate portrayal of his recruitment and what he really felt about Ole Miss at the time. And so uh, I think those things are, are worthy of recognition, and I think I look forward to you guys reading them. And then for some of you silver hair dogs, you, you may remember in 1958, Ole Miss kidnapped Bully and painted him red and blue. Well, I have the Mississippi State account of that. I think the Ole Miss account of that has been published. I knew a Paige Cothran's book, um, Walk Quietly Around the Dead. He tells the uh, Ole Miss version of that, and uh, one of the things that he says is that he – and admits that the bulldog did die, and uh, some of them, some folks credit the pain. Other people say that uh, that bully died of grief, that he was no longer a rebel. Uh, I tell the more accurate portrayal of all of that, and uh, f- from the words of uh, the people involved in trying to negotiate bully's release from his captors in Oxford. But uh, you know, the the story, that part of the story, didn't have a happy ending. But the reality of it is, is that. Uh, this rivalry has been pretty contentious from the beginning. In fact, the first chapter of the book is contentious from the beginning, and it takes you through the infancy of the Mississippi State Ole Miss rivalry and then brings you through last year's Egg Bowl. That's, that's how far we go. We start from the very genesis of the rivalry. Even before there was a Mississippi State, there was a rivalry within the state of Mississippi between what people considered, you know, kind of a social caste system in Mississippi. And there were many people that uh, that they sent their kids to the University of Mississippi that simply felt that their kids were too good to go to school with the farmer's kids or the common folks' kids. And so we talk a little bit about that. And so that's where a lot of the the angst, I think, between the two schools kind of began. And so it's kind of a historical document. But uh, what's incredible about the whole thing is when I think about the say that the Ole Miss-educated Mississippi State Legislature had at the time and the steps they took to really kind of protect Ole Miss, what they really did was they uh, they planted the seeds for a research and an agricultural giant in Mississippi State. And uh, it is incredible to see what's happened. And so there's some things that have happened, some, some privileges and some advantages that Ole Miss had for decades in this state that they no longer possess. And that's why you have seen many things change within this rivalry. And so that's kind of what, that's kind of the thing about the book. It's about how the rivalry has evolved over time and highlighted by some big moments in the rivalry that Mississippi State won. And so interviewing, you know, Coach Ron Polk and, and Jackie Sherrill and Bob Tyler and, uh, you know, just some great Bulldogs and to get their thoughts on the rivalry and about some of their biggest 
memories of the rivalry and big moments that took place in the rivalry. Uh, it's been one of the joys of my life, and uh, I look forward to you guys having it. So again, StarkVillainsTheBook.com. Go pre-order about a thousand copies today. Buy all you want. They'll print more. Look forward to seeing you guys out there. And very, very soon, we're going to have some book signings uh, that we're going to release. And then we're going to set up some deals. There are going to be some of you that are kind of tucked away in maybe some areas you don't have an independent bookstore. And maybe you don't have the benefit of coming to a book signing. Where I'm going to be on the road a lot. And we're going to do some of these evening with Steve Robertson's or an evening with the Stark Villains type deals we'll go out and i'll have like a book reading and we'll do a book signing and we'll sit around and talk about the book and we'll talk about mississippi state sports and we'll have a good time and so we're going to do some of those and if you're interested in that if you're interested in booking one of those events email me i'll put you in contact with the right people that's at s robertson at jeanspage.com but you can get me on all forms of social media message me on facebook or on twitter or whatever i'll put you in contact with the people that will be keeping my calendar and uh, they'll let you know what the requirements are for everything. And we'll set the whole thing up, and we'll go have a good time together. But again, we're about two weeks out from release, about two weeks out. Really, 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 really looking forward to you guys reading this book. So many great stories to share. Well, folks, that'll do it for today. I'll be back on Friday. It's going to be so much fun. We'll preview the weekend, and then I'll get on the road to Knoxville. And uh, looking forward to going up there and winning a football game and coming home 4-2 and two with the Mississippi State Bulldogs. And we'll preview the weekend. We'll look ahead. Uh, also, if you're in town, if maybe you're not going to make the trip to Knoxville, starting Thursday, we're going to have the uh, the Fall Ball World Series out at Duty Noble Field. Uh, that's going to be Thursday, Friday, Saturday. The public is encouraged to attend. You can get the uh, the dates and times uh, right there at hellstate.com. And uh, it would be good for you to come. And I tell you, we had such a good time last Saturday. Really, really did. A little bit of hot. But I'll tell you, it was so great to be back at Duty Noble Field to cheer for the Bulldogs and uh, sat right behind the plate with Gene Swindoll, Mike Nemeth, and uh, just had a great time. And sometimes, you know, I think we forget how great we have it here at Mississippi State when it comes to college baseball. So any chance we get to go celebrate that, I think, is a wonderful thing. So, again, if you're in town this weekend and not going to Knoxville, or maybe you're looking for something to do Thursday and Friday, then come on out to Dirty Noble Field and come cheer for the Bulldogs. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.